0: Good evening, and welcome to Mouthful Smart Talk about food, wine, and farming. How are you doing on this strange Easter Sunday? My goodness, I was just driving to the studio, and the sky was sort of blue, mostly in Sebastopol. But I noticed to the east, hmm, there's some dark, dark clouds gathering. And when I turned onto Stony Point Road to come to the station, the downpour started. The raindrops were so big and so loud, and I had the radio on as I always do, and I literally could not hear the radio. Um, and I just, you know, part there's not many people in our parking lot. I parked near the ramp that leads up to the radio station, and I got drenched in just the I don't know seven or eight seconds that it took me to uh, get uh, to the shade to the covered porch. So I know that it must be S- San Rosa Windsor. Uh, We're park, probably Atati. not sure where else. But, um, strange times, strange times. I hope you've managed to uh, have a good weekend and what, whatever that means for you. Um, during uh, stay-at-home time, I went to the farmer's market in Sebastopol today. And it's inter- it's interesting. We have a new vendor that I am so thrilled to see. Um, oh gosh, I hope I'm going to say it right. Romiti Rem- mozzarella. It's really nice, fresh mozzarella made uh, here in the North Bay. And they also have uh, ricotta. So welcome to them to the farmers market. It's great to see them, and I hope they uh, I hope they stay. For- indefinitely. It's a really, really great product. I've wanted to have them on uh, Mouthful for a long time, so um, I will make that happen now that they're um, in the uh, farmer's market. I think that's a really good time to uh, make it happen. Uh, The show tonight is going to address a number of things. Um, First of all, we're going to deviate only slightly um, because we always cover things about the environment, about how we live here and the creatures um, that live here with us. So we're going to be talking in just a couple of minutes. We're going to talk be talking with Veronica Bowers, of um, Native Songbird Care and Conservation. She has been on Mouthful before um, to talk about the care she gives to hundreds and hundreds of songbirds every year. But she was also here quite a long time ago. She makes the best chocolate in the world. And, you know, I don't have the chocolate gene. So it takes really, really good chocolate to get me interested. And she had a business for a few years, La Dolce V. Um, and she just made the most wonderful bonbons and truffles. Um, And she had to give it up for a variety of reasons, one of them having to do with not having the proper temperature in her production kitchen um, to produce chocolate on um, any scale at all or to produce it successfully. It can't be too hot. Anyway, she is going to talk about what really seems to be her first love and the trouble that she is having and that all agencies and organizations that rely on volunteers... Uh, Will be having or already are having during the uh, coronavirus epidemic because obviously, if you're sheltering in place, you can't go volunteer. So, Veronica's coming into her busy season. Um, She takes care of songbirds and really releases around 800 a season. Um, which begins in March and starts wrapping up in late September. Uh, She releases all the ones that uh, she possibly can after she gets them well. So we'll be hearing all about that. She's going to be calling in about two minutes. After that, we're going to hear from Dominique Katara of Dominique Sweets. Her partner is Tom Noble of Armstrong Valley Farms, and they started uh, a store, an online store, where you can order their farm products and her baked goods. And also she has, oh, some wonderful canned tomatoes, canned tomato sauce. And you can drive to the farm and pick it up on Fridays. And we're going to see, well, she started it for this last Friday. We're going to hear about how that's going, how it went, and what the plans are for the next one. Also be talking about um, some of the other options you have. Um, There's a lot of talk about healthy eating, you know, is out the window now that, you know, this strange thing is happening. And I just don't think that's true at all. Um, It's a really important time to not just take care of yourself and eat healthfully, um, but also to think about your local farmers and reach out to them with your dollars. Uh, Their harvest doesn't stop. And it's really important that we remember that. And they are being very inventive about ways to... um, get their harvest to you. And all we have to do is pay attention and uh, respond to whatever they have set up. Um, There's some in the pipeline that we're not quite ready to talk about, but I was asked to work on building a couple of boxes that will be offered by uh, some markets, uh, retail markets in Sonoma County. And I'm working on two. One is going to be a pantry box designed to last for up to four months for one or two people, everything you need to be able to make great pantry meals. And then I'm also doing a weekly box for one person that will last, um, seven to 10 days really for one person. If it happens to be two people that might be down to five or four or five, depending on your appetites. Um, and we'll be working with local farms. I mean, local markets to, um, get those boxes to you in a really convenient and easy way for the duration. Um, Another option that I'll tell you about while we're waiting for Veronica to call, um, and it should be any minute, um, Third Street Ale Works has teamed up with Andy's Andy's of uh, Sebastopol, of course, the, uh, the vegetable fruit stand, lots of uh, really excellent uh, dried goods, um, grains, that sort of thing, dairy products. Um, and they've also teamed up with Franco-American and Golden Gate Meats as well. And they're offering three or four boxes. One of the boxes is um, for produce. One is bread. And one is meat. And you can find out all about that at com. So I think what I'm going to do is take a really quick music. Uh, here's Veronica now. We're going to be hearing from her any second. Let's see. Is that you, Veronica? It's me. Hi there. Okay, we're going to get your you? volumes up just a little bit.
1: Okay. Let's
0: okay, let's see. Could you could you say Native Songbird uh, Care and Conservation for me, please?
1: Native songbird care and conservation.
0: Okay, I can hear you. And Good. Ma- yeah, can we get that up a little bit louder? Okay, that okay. Um, well, welcome to Mouthful. I hope you've had a nice day. Yes,
1: it's been a, a busy gardening day and working on uh, refurbishing an aviary.
0: <laughs> okay. And how are things going with birds? I see, you know, I probably live, as the crow flies, about half a mile from where you are in Spastopol and I'm certainly seeing lots of songbirds.
1: Yes, so- it is a very active time right now for our songbirds. There's all kinds of things going on. Everybody is working on building a nest or finding a mate or claiming territory And every day, um, more and more of our neotropical migrants are arriving from Central and South America for the breeding season. So there's a lot happening out there right now. Um, Have you gotten any
0: patients in
1: yet? Yes. um, We have some bush tits. We have black phoebes, a white-breasted nuthatch, chestnut-backed chickadees, and I just finished texting with a gentleman who lives here in Sebastopol and we have some orphaned dark eyed juncos on the way. (laughs) Wow.
0: It sounds like you're getting, you're hitting your uh, busy season.
1: It is starting to pick up here. Yeah. So all of those are babies. And then in addition to the babies, we have about 25 adult birds in care right now. So um, it's busy. And usually what we see is a decline in um, the adult birds coming into the facility this time of year and an increase in babies. But I think what's happening out there, while we're all sheltering in place, um, at home we are maybe encountering birds in trouble more or we're um accidentally causing a little more trouble for them Um, because this is unusual for us to have 25 adult birds in care at the beginning of April so I I think there's a correlation there between shelter in place
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting yeah um Things are not the same as they've been in years past because you usually rely on lots of volunteers, right?
1: Yes, exactly. We have about 14 to 20 volunteers um, who help us during the baby season. So there's a core group of 14 who have been with me for years. Um, And then we usually take on anywhere from five to seven new volunteers every baby season. But because we're all being, um, you know, Dutiful in our shelter-in-place um, directive, our volunteers are off duty, um, and they. Some of them may be off duty for the remainder of the season because um, there are certain age groups that, for their own safety. Um, It's we've been advised that it would be better that they not come back for the season even after the shelter in place order is lifted. So, um, so I know I have at least until the first week of May to be flying solo here on my own, which has me a little unnerved, but uh, we're doing our best. And um, hopefully, some of our key volunteers will be able to come back in the middle of May. But we've also we have um, some interns and Uh, an animal care assistant who were scheduled to come on starting in June. But I think we may, um, hopefully we rallied enough funding together that we can bring them on a little bit earlier in May um, to help out. So that'll be some relief uh, to have extra hands on board. But it was a a financial um, element that we hadn't quite planned for. Of course.
0: We'll get through it. (laughs) Of course. Could you tell us what, with you flying solo right now, what does a day look like for you um, in detail when it comes to taking care of the, the birds that need your help?
1: <laughs> well, so I start my day at about 5.30 a.m. And usually what I do is I come straight out here. And when we have hatchlings and nestlings, um, they get fed between 14 and 16 hours a day from sunrise to sunset. So they're usually first on the list of priorities when I begin my day during the baby season. So 5.30 a.m. means coming in, prepping all the food, vitamin supplements, any medications that anyone needs, and then jumping into the hand-feeding schedule. So hatchlings, um, which the butch, bush tits have progressed now to nestling stage, so they're finally on a every-30-minute schedule, but when they're hatchlings, they're getting every fed every 20 minutes. So I have birds that are on every 20-minute, every 30-minute, and every 45-minute intervals. Um, And in between getting all of those guys fed, once I've done a couple rounds for them, I get all of their housing cleaned, and then I move on to taking care of the adult birds. So they may need their medications and new food and housing cleaned, but some of them may also need uh, wound treatments done, or evaluations. Maybe somebody had a wing splint on that needed to be removed. So I have to kind of schedule all of those things in between these hand feeding schedules. So it might be noon by the time I finally finish my last adult bird <laughs> patient. In between feeding babies and then making sure that the adult birds are getting their their medical care and everything else done in between. And then you have to start Um, feeding
0: all over again.
1: Yeah. And then you have to start feeding all over again. The timers are almost constant right now. And we don't even have that many babies here. But because of their intervals, there's a timer going off, you know, almost every 10 to 15 minutes, it Uh seems like.
2: Gosh. Um,
1: So yeah. And then, of course, um, in between all of that, the phone is ringing. So we're starting to get a lot of calls from Good Samaritans who have encountered things in their backyard. Um, you know, there, we had a woman call earlier today who was concerned that a nest of hummingbirds um, outside her kitchen window had been orphaned. And so we had to talk about the process of as those babies grow older, the mother visits the nest a little less frequently. But also, unless you're keeping an eye on that nest, you know, nonstop for 60 minutes straight, you may miss one of those really quick feedings. So birds are very quick when they bring a food delivery to the nest, and then they're out of there. And, and you know, she did, in fact, actually miss the delivery. So, uh, so the hummingbirds are okay? <laughs> yes, her hummingbirds are just fine. And it sounds like they're probably going to fledge to the nest any day. <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um. When a bird comes to you, How long typically does it stay in your care? Is that even a fair question?
1: It's a fair question. We have an average, so anywhere from four to eight weeks. So if it's a baby, they're going to be here anywhere from six to eight weeks. And if it's an adult bird um, with a mild injury, it may be, I should say, probably two to eight weeks. If it's an adult bird with a mild injury, it might just be two weeks of recovery time. But a lot of them, if there's a wing injury involved, a bone break. um, Lots of wounds, that's usually about a four week to six week uh, turnaround time. Mm -hmm. Head trauma can be anywhere from four weeks to two months. So it really is kind of a case by case basis, just like human medicine and and trauma. Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: Depending on the nature of the injury, the recovery time really just depends on the the patient and what injury we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Where the babies are concerned, once they're healthy. Um, it's a little more definitive in terms of thinking about a time frame. So it's pretty easy to say, oh, if we get a baby bird in, they're going to be here for six to eight weeks Mm -hmm. because that's about how long it takes to raise raise the average um, songbird baby Mm -hmm. and and give them the amount of time they need to hone their skills before they're ready for release back to the wild.
0: When they're in the wild, do their parents teach them the survivor's survival skills they need for everything from learning to fly to learning to hunt?
1: They do. And so I, I teach a lot of classes to other wildlife rehabilitators all over North America. And probably one of my most favorite topics to, to teach and to talk about is what we call the fledgling process. And so basically that's the equivalent of a human teenager. Um, so songbird fledglings are, you know, they're out of the nest. They're able-bodied. They're hopping around um, in some cases, depending on the species, if they're swallows or swifts or a lot of our cavity nesting species, they're actually flying around at fledgling age. But they're mobile. And so because they're mobile and out of the nest, they are moving alongside with their parents throughout the environment and they're interacting every step of the way with that environment. They're interacting with the dirt, they're interacting with potential food sources that they're experimenting with. They're also modeling behaviors after their parents. So if their parent is hunting something or foraging something, the offspring is watching, they may be in um, kind of doing little practice bits of that on their own. There are some parents like swallow parents who will feed their swallow babies in flight. So the swallow babies are flying alongside the parents and the parents will turn around midair and stuff food in their mouth. Some will actually drop food in the air so the youngster can capture it. So there is a lot of training. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, aside from learning how to capture their own food or procure their own food, they're also learning about dangers and they're observing their parents and how their parents respond to danger and listening to the different vocalizations Fledglings are also learning their song. Most of our songbirds have to learn their song. And so all that time that's spent with their father out in the wild, while he's singing on territory, they are learning his song. So if that um, father bird has, you know, male offspring, the males are... You know, they're basically in choir practice. Um, That's <laughs> for so most interesting. Most of their fledgling life.
0: <laughs> wow, that is just fascinating. Um, yeah, so
1: there's a lot for them to learn out there, and so it takes us twice as long for their their babies to learn those skills in captivity with us mm-hmm. as it does for them to learn out in the wild with their parents because. we can't really teach them things the way the parents can teach them. So what we do is we provide them an environment when they're in their aviaries um, out here on the property that gives them things to interact with so they can experiment on their own and hone their skills on their own. So it takes them longer because they don't have a role model teaching them. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons that we really, when people call to say they've found a baby bird, they may as though they're being interrogated <laughs> because we want to make absolutely certain that baby birds are not being brought to us unnecessarily. Sure. Um, so sometimes people mistake baby birds who have just fledged the nest as being orphaned or having fallen out of the nest and therefore somehow in need of rescue. But most of the time what they're observing is a very natural process. They've left the nest they look a little insecure and vulnerable because they are, but they're still under the care of their parents and there's nothing wrong with them. Um, other than they just happen to live in a world where humans exist. Right. <laughs> so yeah. we need to give them space to, to be birds. Um, but you know, because we do a very good job here, raising babies, um, you know, we still take seriously that we don't do as good of a job as their natural parents do.
0: Sure. Do you, Sometimes on some of the nature shows, um, you see someone in a costume or with their hand um, in something that looks like the parent. Do you have to do any of those sort of disguises when you're caring for the birds?
1: So fortunately, with songbirds, we don't. Um, They're not prone to imprinting the way species like um, a lot of the precocial birds like geese and ducks can Uh be. Um, Also, species who are in the crane family, which include turkey vultures um, and a lot of raptor species, there is potential for imprinting there. And so they do take extra precaution and wear costumes or use sort of puppets,
2: to feed Uh the
1: babies, um, because those species, if there is risk of imprinting, then, you know, of course, you diminish your possibilities for releasing them back out into the wild. Right. What songbirds are more likely to succumb to is habituation. Um, So there's a big difference between habituation and imprinting. So imprinting is when a species simply doesn't recognize its own species as, you know, one of its own. Uh It recognizes humans as one of its own species. Whereas habituation is a dangerous familiarity with humans. So if we ever encountered a bird that is habituated, which we do, unfortunately, when the public decides to raise babies by themselves, and then when they run into trouble, they turn them over to us, we do end up dealing with habituated cases of songbirds. And some we've been able to successfully turn around um, and wild them up, quote unquote, um, and others we've not. And um, that's unfortunate, because what it means is they're sentenced to a life in captivity um, at another facility that takes educational animals, or it means they're humanely euthanized.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so situation is not a good thing either.
0: No, definitely not. Um, I just, I so admire your work. I get choked up every time I hear about it. Um, a quick question, just to satisfy me, I read somewhere recently that uh, Corvid's, are classified as songbirds is that true
1: yes taxonomically they are i did not um, know tax, that our, yeah our very largest songbird is the raven
0: <laughs>
1: in, do you ever get ravens and crows in we don't we we don't take corvid species here because not only are they songbirds but they're predatory um, oh, that so, makes sense yeah and since we deal with a lot of sensitive species here um who see um who are food to some of those birds right we can't house them in the same facility okay when um
0: somebody comes across a bird that they're pretty certain is in distress is in need they call you um and what's the process um you have relied a lot on um volunteers to go pick up the bird right right so what's happening with that now
1: so right now, um, our community has been amazing, and they have been bringing the birds to us. In fact, while I'm on the phone with you, I have to walk out to our group enclosure to pick up the little dark-eyed juncos, and somebody dropped off. But um, what we ask is, basically, we take all of the information that we would need from them Over the phone. So, usually when people would bring birds to us, we'd have them come into the hospital and complete our intake form while we did the intake on the bird. Now we just take all of that information over the phone and then we make sure that the bird they have in possession is securely packed up in a box. Um, something that they can leave behind with us that they don't need back. And by securely packed up in a box, we mean there are no possibilities for escape. Sometimes when a member of the public finds an injured or orphan bird, they think, oh, there's no way this little bird's going to muster up enough energy to get out of this box. And unfortunately, we've had it happen twice this week where the bird did get out of the box. Uh. And um, and escaped the drop-off enclosure, um, so that was really unfortunate, and um, we were not able to recover the bird. So <clears throat> when we say a secure box, we mean a secure box—a secure box with a <laughs> lid,
2: yes, and no little openings, yes.
1: And so um, then they place it in the drop-off enclosure that's at the very end of our driveway, and then they send a text when they've done that and then I come out and retrieve it. So there's no sharing airspace. Um, I make sure that I have gloves on when I retrieve the box. And um, there's hand sanitizer here at the drop-off enclosure for them as well if they need that. And then we discard everything. So as soon as we bring the bird back into the hospital and take it out of the box, we put it in our own hospital enclosure and then we discard all of those materials. And that's kind of the procedure.
0: (laughs) Wow, you you know, you've got it really organized.
1: Well, we're doing our best, and there's been a lot of collaboration between other organizations who do this kind of work. So we've kind of tried to, you know, come up with some standard procedures that keep all of us safe, as well as um, our community members that we're working with. Um, And then there's little things that, you know, we change based on whatever is unique to our facility. But for the most part, we are all practicing a zero-contact intake procedure. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably we'll have to carry that out through the summer as well.
0: Right. Um, And your season wraps up, starts winding down in late (laughs) September, is that right?
1: Yes, that's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It usually starts to slow down um, about mid-August, and then we have babies that continue to trickle in through early September. So it's not unusual at all for us to see um, a nest of barn swallows come into our facility the first week of September. But there are also, um, let's see, finch species who are still nesting. Woodpeckers, believe it or not, can still be nesting. So it's not over until it's over.
0: Until it's over. Um, (laughs) How can people help you right now? Um, Can they go to the website and make a donation?
1: Yes. Donations, um, it's a very awkward time to be asking people for financial support, but it is uh, definitely something that can help us most right now because we do have to bring paid staff on board. And the other thing they can do is take a look at some of the other information on our website. So, you know, what do you do when you find a baby bird that may or may not need to be rescued? Take a look at that information Oh, and this one—this is a big one. It probably accounts for at least half of the patients that we have in our care right now. Refrain from trimming trees, please. Very important. <laughs> yes, um, trimming trees and clearing brush displaces countless, countless um, songbird babies and, and their their nests and their parents this time of year. So, really, just wait until fall and winter. And you know what? If you start reading about what's healthiest for the plants and the trees, it's highly recommended to wait until fall Absolutely. and winter. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, don't, <laughs> so,
0: don't don't trim when they're growing.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. So, I think, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. Excellent. Um, and then of course the other thing that accounts for a huge percentage of our patients is um victims of free-roaming cats. So, yes. being able to safely contain kitties is another Really great way to help our songbirds, but also to take a little pressure off the wildlife rehabilitation facilities in your area.
0: Yeah, and you know, on YouTube and a variety of other websites, there are good instructions on how to, be, how to build a catio.
1: Oh my gosh, they're amazing! Yes, they're, they're wonderful. Incredible ones, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Lots so of inspiration.
0: What is the website?
1: So, our website is nativesongbirdcare.org.
0: O-R-G, nativesongbirdcare.org. And that's also where you find the phone number that you should call if you encounter a distressed bird.
1: Yes. And um, the other thing I'll add, too, is please don't ever try to take care of the bird yourself. Yes. Um, always call a wildlife rehabilitator.
0: Excellent. Who takes um, the corvids around here?
1: So our friends at the Santa Rosa Bird Rescue takes all the jays, the crows, and the ravens and the raptors, and they take uh, certain species of songbirds as well. Um, and they take uh, game birds and water birds.
0: Okay, that's really good to know. I'm going to try to get them on maybe next week. Yeah. Well, Veronica, good. I hope a lot of people come to the website and make a donation and read all about you. I love what you do. It's an honor to have you in Mouthful again, and it's an honor to know you, and you just make me so happy taking care of birds.
1: Oh, well, the feeling is mutual, Mm -hmm. Michelle. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk a little more about our work. And it's always nice chatting with you. And I really am so grateful for your support.
0: Thank you. And maybe we'll um, touch base with you again mid-season.
1: Oh, please do.
0: Okay, definitely (laughs) will. You take care and thank you again.
1: You too. Have a good night. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. I think we have Dominique Katara on the line now. Hi. Hi, Dominique. Happy Easter.
4: Happy Easter.
0: You having a nice day?
4: Yes, it's beautiful. I'm having a great day.
0: Did you get the storm up there?
4: No, you know, we had partial cloudy, but it just made it a little bit more exciting. Now it's like sunny and beautiful.
0: An hour, well, not even an hour ago, about 45 minutes ago when I was driving to the station, I got into Renner Park, just Stony Point to Renner Park Expressway. It Mm -hmm. started raining. I've never seen a downpour like that. Wow. It rained so hard, I literally could not hear the radio. (laughs) And I could barely see.
4: That's weird. Yeah, no rain here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just, and I guess it's uh, been in thunder and lightning in Windsor. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I guess it was just like the 101 corridor, I guess, got hit. So uh, Mm. I didn't see that coming at all. It was sort of chilly in Sebastopol, uh, but not, you know, not bad. I went, I wore a dress to the farmer's market. I didn't need a sweater or anything.
4: Yeah. How were they at the farmer's market It was very
0: sparse. Oh. Very, very, it's the the fewest vendors I've ever seen. Mm. Um, Everybody was in the parking lot. There was nothing in the town square. A lot of people with dogs. Okay. Um, but yeah, nothing. And there was like Lata, uh, Indian cuisine, um, the, mushroom, the people with the mushroom jerky. Everybody was just in that backwards L shape of the uh, parking lot. Um, and by the time I got there, I didn't get there until about noon. Uh-huh. A lot of people were um, taking down their stalls because they sold out.
4: Yeah, I think the markets are really busy right now. Yeah, they
0: are, and people are coming from everybody I've talked to at uh, the various markets. People are coming quite early in the day.
2: Mhm.
0: So, yeah. Uh, so you had a great idea, you and uh, your partner in crime, Tom Noble, Armstrong Valley <laughs> Farm. Yeah. You guys put together a square store, mm-hmm. and that's for people who haven't heard of it. Square is the little device. You know, that lets people take credit cards um, through your phone or your iPad or something. And they have stores where you can set up the store and order that way. So you did that and you did it for pickup this last Friday. Yes. How did things go?
4: It went great. It was really nice. It was really good to see people that because we haven't been doing the markets for two or three weeks, I lose track. Mm -hmm. It's been it's
0: been um, this was your third Sunday not being there.
4: Oh, okay, yeah, three weeks. <laughs> so it was really good to see people, and um we Tom beat me in sales, but I had more orders
0: <laughs> oh- inter- oh, interesting. <laughs> we compete, <laughs> okay. Um, do you know how many customers overall that you had?
4: I think we had uh, like thirty five or forty, uh-huh. And um, everybody was really happy to take a drive out here because they were tired of being cooped up, by yeah. And we should say,
0: you're in Guerneville. You're just north of Guerneville, just before the entrance to Armstrong um, Woods, right?
4: Yes, exactly. It's really easy to get here. You just go straight, no turns. And Tom was in the front directing traffic, and um, and they came in. Everybody behaved. I, I and they'd in them, like And they had paid in advance,
0: right? They had paid through the website.
4: Right. So that made it really nice because we didn't have to do any kind of money stuff. So they saw what they wanted. They told us how much they wanted. Tom did the produce orders and I did the pastry orders. And then we matched them up and then the people came through. They opened their trunk. I learned all about how different Audis and BMW and Lexus trunks work. Oh, interesting. Okay. (laughs) And Subaru trunks won't open if your car is running. (laughs) At least the one that we had wouldn't. And then, um, so then we would just put their orders in their trunk and we'd wave to them and off they went, out into the world. So it really
0: only took a few minutes, each transaction.
4: It really did. And um, now we have, you know, we realize the things that slowed us down, like getting the orders ready to go. I'm going to do my list alphabetically the next time. So you're going to, (laughs)
0: you are going to continue this.
4: We are. We're going to keep doing it until, I think until at least the shelter in place order is lifted because I'm actually the one that asked Tom to stay home because I wanted to stay home. I have some underlying health issues, and I thought, what well, good is it if I stay home if he's going out in the world?
0: That's a good point.
4: But he was happy to stay home, and there's lots of uh, tractoring work to do and eggs to be gathered, so we're not bored at all here.
0: <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> uh, so are you going to be doing it for Pickup every Friday?
4: Yes, we are. Oh, I excellent. Am, yeah, I took it down last. Wednesday night or Thursday morning, because on Thursday we're preparing for the Friday pickup, and so we can't manage the orders.
0: So people need to order by Wednesday night?
4: Right. They need to order by Wednesday night. And I have a note on there for pastries to try and order your uh, leavened pastries by Tuesday afternoon because they take time to rise and roll and rise again. So mm-hmm. like the croissants and the cronuts are the only things. And then I have kind of a good idea by then, and I'll, there'll still be some available on Wednesdays, but the majority of those orders, if they're in by Tuesday afternoon, because that's when I make the dough that mm-hmm. night for those.
0: Um, what, what does uh, Tom have in the garden right now? He has a ton of beautiful spinach. The spinach is so good. I need to get a box of just spinach.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's great, yeah. And he has a lot of lettuce and a ton of eggs, lots and lots of really nice carrots.
0: Your carrots, his carrots are so delicious.
4: They are. And asparagus, we picked asparagus this morning for our Easter dinner tonight. And they're, they're just gorgeous um so asparages. it's got citrus C- citrus yeah. too right oh yeah lots of citrus his brother mike in healdsburg grows the citrus and um mike is very particular about picking his citrus so we i was saying to tom today that once people taste this stuff they're not going to want to buy regular citrus from the store anymore because the oranges are so sweet they really taste like a real orange. And it's really beautiful stuff. And it's never been, you know, nobody sprays anything at all. Mm -hmm. It's really,
0: and I can testify, it's really, really fabulous, fabulous citrus. I love it.
4: Yeah. We had orange juice this morning. Nice. (laughs) Nice. How many chickens? Tom's got like... I'm going to say 250, Oh, I can't figure out if it's 200 or 300. They
0: move around a lot. It's hard to count.
4: <laughs> it is. so, And they're really happy with the weather, and they're getting lots of greens now. So there's a lot of happy chickens out there laying lots of pretty eggs.
0: And I forget, if do you guys uh, separate the pullet eggs and sell those separately?
4: We usually do, but he doesn't have a, the new girls that he has that just started laying... Their eggs are just as big oh, okay. as the regular ones.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
4: Yeah. It, normally, it takes a few months right. for them to become regular size, but they're and they're really sweet birds. They're, we had some black chickens a couple of years ago, and they were very mean and they pecked me.
0: Oh. <laughs> but now you have nice ones.
4: Now we have nice, happy, good, happy girls.
0: Good. Uh, do you have any of your tomatoes uh, products left?
4: I do. I have. Uh, I guess. Well, I have tomato sauce. I'm not sure what the inventory is. I have at least like 15 pints okay. of tomato sauce and probably like 10 pints of whole tomatoes with basil, but the quarts are all gone. Okay, the whole tomatoes.
0: But you know, those are some, That's some nice things. You made them with Tom's tomatoes, right?
4: Yeah. So those are also really ripe when they're.
0: Right, so they're just and they're just pure tomato,
4: right. The sauce is just all tomato, and uh, we're going through the New Zealand sauce first, and then we're going to have early girl tomato sauce next, and that is a darker almost more intense flavor. is because, it slightly sweeter?
0: Uh, I always think of early girls having a little bit more sweetness
4: it is a little sweeter, and we um. They have more water than the um, New Zealand paste tomatoes, so mm-hmm. they're cooked down a lot more, so it's a darker color sauce, and mm-hmm. it's it's very good.'s been good. I made lasagna last night with some. It was really yummy.
0: Yum. Um, a you guys are not selling by the box. you're selling by the item, correct?:
4: Correct. Yes. Yeah,
0: so and all the prices are just there right and it's a, it's, you did a really good job with that website really fast. Thank you. (laughs) And it's very clear what things are going to cost. You know, there's no confusion about it. And so, some people who eat really varied diets are totally comfortable with a CSA where they don't know from week to week what they're getting. Mm -hmm. But other people are like, what do I do with this thing that looks like? A planet, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's a rutabaga. It's like, no, I don't want that.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't. I'm like, I. I never thought I was a control freak, but I guess I am because I would rather just pick out what I'm getting.
0: <laughs> I'm. The, I'm. I did um, a CSA for a year and kept a CSA diary, and um, mm-hmm. they see it. it they were not doing the traditional things that you would expect to find at a certain mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Theirs were sort of out of season. So I was getting what I usually think of as winter vegetables in August. And it's like, well, this is interesting and I'll keep doing it for a year. But mm-hmm. it wasn't something that after that, it wasn't something I wanted to continue.
4: Yeah. I mean, you're not in the mood for squash in August.
0: No, definitely. <laughs> de- yeah. And, you know, I don't really want collard greens in July. <laughs> and it, it was very much like that.
4: Yeah. Oh, I want collard greens all year.
0: Well, there, maybe I shouldn't have chosen collard <laughs> greens. But I do think, I tend to think of them as, for me, more of a wintry crop. Um, yeah. How do people golden. get to the store?
4: Oh, um, well, it's a weird kind of a name, but it's um, Tom and Dom's drive-thru Through, thru Dot square dot site, S
0: I T E. So that's Tom, and you spell out and, A N D, Dom, D O M, with an S, Mm -hmm. drive, T H R U. Correct. Dot square dot site. Yes, perfect. And I've put it, it was in my uh, Press Democrat column, Seasonal Pantry, last Wednesday, so you can also find it there. You can always post on Mouthful's Facebook page asking me to post something, and I'll just do that anyway, and you can always send me an email. Uh, Probably the easiest one to get to me is... Cat's milk at sonic.net. I'm still working on mouthful at sonic.net. I'm just having one little tiny technical problem and don't have anyone to come over and fix it for me right now. (laughs) Um, Well, good luck. I'm glad this was a success.
4: Makes me really happy. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you for putting it in your uh, column. Of course. My
0: pleasure. And I'm glad to know that you and Tom are safe at home.
4: We are. We're safe at home and we'll come out When it's safe out there.
0: There you go. (laughs) I will talk to you again really soon.
4: Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you. Dominique
0: Katara of Dominique Sweets.
4: Good night. Good night.
0: Leon Russell, Roll Away the Stone. So thanks for tuning in. I'm going to scoot out of here early because I just really want to play my favorite Easter song for you. I've played a couple that I really like. But this one is, I always say that if a Martian were to come across this song, especially the video of this song, it's the only thing they ever heard of rock and roll, this would tell them absolutely everything. So um, that's going to come up in just a second. And in the meantime, I just want to say thank you for listening. And I want to offer, you can ask me questions. If you are one of those people who has a CSA and you don't know what to do with something that you've gotten, you can go to my Facebook page. You can send me an email. Um, People do this. People who read my column do this. And I'm always happy to help in any way that I can. So on that note, I'm out of here. Have a safe Interesting week, and meet me back here next Sunday for another episode of Mouthful Smart Talk about Food, Wine, and Farming here on KRCB. Let's hear from Patty Smith. Yee! Yee!
5: <clears throat> Jesus, died for somebody's. Sins, but not mine. Melting out of thieves, wild card of my sleeve, thick out of stone. My sins, my own. Sí, And free. Well, they got pictures in the museum of local color that you.